following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Um, so good morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy Branch. If you're new here, I'm an elder here at Messio, uh, pastor. Uh, one of the things I'm going to shamelessly uh, plug this real quick, we've talked about it before, is we have biblical counseling day that we kind of set apart. It was every other Thursday, but now we're doing it every Thursday. Um, and what I mean by that, it's like pastoral counseling. This is not a substitute for anything clinical that you're doing or going on, but it's, it's just a time if you're struggling with depression, fear, worries, your walk, if you're a new Christian and you're just like, I don't know what half this stuff means. I'm not sure if I'm accepted. If you have, uh, uh, you know, these anxieties like detachment, am I, do I belong? Should I be here? Uh, I'm struggling with these different things. We're here for you. You can, to get, it, to get this, to get some time on those Thursdays, um, just go to the website. You can either email me directly. My email's on there somewhere under my name. Or you can go to the upper right-hand corner, click Get Involved, and hit Next Steps. Uh, so like I said, uh, I'm, if you're new here, I'm not the normal guy up here. We have a lead pastor, Bron Robbins, um, uh, is usually preaching, or Ron, or Mark. Uh, so I urge you, do, if this is your first visit, it's hard for me to see who is out there, so I don't know if we have visitors or not, but if this is your first visit, don't go just by what you hear from me today. Come back and hear those guys. So <laughs> the word, yes, but just me all together is not the exact, uh, is not totally missio. So um, yes, thank you. I need that love. I need that love. Um, so <laughs> thank you. That's great. See, I love that. See that you can do that. And but now let's keep those to minimal. It's this kind of stuff. Uh, so I need that. Uh, I was also, I got to do one more. So I was thinking, because I couldn't see you behind me. You're coming in. So when I first set, come in and sit down, there's like three people in here, right? And then it grows. And then you turn around. But it instantly made me think, and I think God does this. He puts things on my mind to kind of give me those moments of just to relax and laugh at stuff. But I, one time we were doing this church, it's a bigger church in Nashville, and we had the six o'clock thing. This is about 15 years ago. And we were going to do something radical and new. Thank you. Oh, that just balances it out. You guys are just darkness when it was the other way. Um, so, so we're like, okay, we're going to do this, and I'm going to preach this time. And, but everybody wanted to be in the band. Have you ever seen that episode of the Little Rascals where everybody is a part of the place and nobody comes to pay the money that they want to raise? There's, no, there's like one kid and they're feeding him saltine crackers so he'll buy a drink or something. Well, that's what it was like. So I get up there to preach, and there's like 12 people behind me, and there's one family sitting right in the middle. Two adults, two little kids. And that's fine. Maybe God wanted them there, but it was really awkward because I kept wanting to go. <laughs> so, okay, we'll stop there with the funniness. So we are currently going through the book of Acts and are at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So if you're new here, once again, we go through things typically expositorily. So we start a book and we go through the whole thing. And uh, uh, it's so great a way to do things. To, well, churches that do that, you get to hear things you, don't, you haven't heard before preached from the pulpit. It can put us in an awkward position because sometimes the Bible is just like a two-edged sword. And so the book of Acts, in short is the history of the birth of the church and its growth propelled by the Holy Spirit as he leads the first believers to go and spread the good news of the grace of God and his salvation. Try sentence diagramming that sentence there. It is full of growth and persecution 
as the Christian walk is, it is a story that does not end till Christ returns. And I'm sure I did not come up with that. I got that from somebody. If you're here, I apologize. Let me know, and I'll add you to the next service. <clears throat> the author of Acts is Luke. He was not one of the apostles. They call him Luke the Evangelist. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote Acts. Uh, Acts is a book that does not have an end. That's why we are in Acts 29 church. There is no 29th chapter in the Bible because Acts doesn't have this ending like the end. It's a continual thing, and that's how we see it. The church is still growing. It's still being birthed. It's still moving. So we're going to do something different this week. Brian was supposed to preach this week. I was supposed to preach next week. But uh, so Brian ended up testing. He had kind of COVID going on in his household. He ended up testing positive last Sunday. Um, he has no symptoms. Praise God, he hasn't had any symptoms. But we just wanted to play on the safe side. He passed that five-day quarantine they have now, and then he's in the middle of that heavy mask wearing. He did uh, retest yesterday, and it is now negative. But we decided just to go ahead with what our plan was. We decided on Thursday, and that was for me. I was supposed to do chapter 18, which is what we're going to do today. Today, or supposed to do it next week, and he was going to do 17 today. But we're going we're gonna to swap those around. It shouldn't make much of a difference. Uh, we just thought it was the best thing to do was to just, instead of taking chances, just to let me come in and do next week now. So chapter 17 ends with Paul addressing the Areopagus in Athens, resulting in more converts to Christianity. Brian will get into that next week. Uh, so we are jumping in at chapter 18 of Acts, verse 1, as Paul arrives at Corinth and continuing his second missionary journey. Paul takes three of these missionary journeys uh, and then eventually, as we know, ends up in Rome and is uh, beheaded. Um, so, uh, so please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. If you do not have one, there is one either under your seat or in the seat in front of you or one in the back. If you do not have a Bible that is yours to keep, you can have it. Uh, unless it is leather-bound and has someone's name printed on it, such as mine, don't take that one. Find another one that's more that doesn't have, or just bring it to me. Maybe you can have it. I don't know. Uh, read Acts. Uh, so we're going to read Acts 1 through 23, and then we're just going to come back and flesh it out and then talk about what, what we're seeing here. So let me begin. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth 
Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed, landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. So let me pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I'm very excited about your word and what's going on here and the stuff that I've learned this, this week as I've dug through this. And Lord, I just pray that you... Uh, your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just, I just give you full reins of this, that I don't get off into the weeds on things that just don't matter right now, and that we focus on what you want us to hear. We talk about you, what you want us to talk about, and that our hearts fall deeper in love with you today as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, Paul is in Corinth. Uh, which instantly makes me think of the two letters Paul later writes to the Corinthian church. So Paul was always going back and checking on the churches. He never just went to a place, did his thing, and moved on. He was always returning. He was always writing letters. He was always checking on them. Uh, so what do we know about this city? This is like a big deal because later when Paul is writing Corinthians, uh, I don't know if it's first or second, but he says, I came to you with much fear and trembling. Corinth was a big deal to him. He was also coming in sort of alone here because he sent some of his other workers on to do some other things. Uh, so he comes in. So this place is like a very depraved, first of all. Corinth had a lot of issues going on. Um, but what we do know about it is this. It was a great commercial center. It was world famous as far as the world was concerned at that time. It was a wealthy port city. Parts of it still stand today. We still see parts of it. And... Uh, it was just so big and so important. It was close to the Isthmus, which joined mainland Greece to the Peloponnesian Peninsula. It commanded the trade routes in all directions, not only north to south by land, but also east-west by sea. This place was important. Everything's coming in here, going out. Things are spreading. Uh, goods are being sold. Through its two harbors, it had one foot planted in each sea. Uh, therefore, it was a city of seafarers and maritime merchants. So it's not surprising. I mean, many other gods worshipped here. Uh, Poseidon was worshipped there by the, the Greeks, uh, the Greek goddess. It was a Greek city, and it was taken over by the Romans. Uh, and the Romans also worshipped uh, Neptune, which is their version of Poseidon, or what they call Poseidon. Uh, so just to last on that, I found this quote from F.W. Far Ferrer. Uh, this is what he imagined, and I thought this is really good. This reminds me of like a movie scene or something. He says, this is how you imagine it. It's cosmopolitan goods, uh, Arabian balsam, Egyptian papyrus, Phoenician dates, Libyan ivory, Babylonian carpets, uh, Sicilian goat's hair, Lyconian wool, Phrygian slaves, like all this stuff's going on. Paul must have seen its strategic importance, he says. 
If trade could radiate from Corinth in all directions, so could the gospel. So as we'll see today and over the next couple weeks, uh, as Brian continues on, drops back to 17 the next week and then jumps into the end of 18 and, in, and then 19, uh, as we'll see, uh, Paul visits Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Uh, these visits followed a similar pattern, uh, namely the evangelization of the Jews, their opposition to the gospel, the Apostle Paul's deliberate turn to the Gentiles, and the multiple vindications of this dramatic decision by Paul. God says, this is what I want you to do right now. He's not giving up on the Jews. It's just the timing is right for the Gentiles. Um, so let's, what we're going to do now, I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. I'm not going to just dig into the weeds on every single verse. We're just going to go through them, and then we're going to come back and just see what jumps out at us. Uh, had less time to prepare for this. And I've been debating how I have several different ways to do this up here. And we're going to go with the one that I think to do right now. So hope it works out. Let me know if it doesn't. Um, but not while I'm preaching afterwards. <laughs> Unless it's really good and then you can let me know. I'm down with that. Um, so verses 1 through 4, uh, Paul's left Athens. He's come to Corinth. He's kind of, well, from what I can tell, he's kind of alone coming in here. So he seeks out this Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, and, and it doesn't say, it just says a Jewish couple. So if you first read it, you're like, now, are they believers? Are they Christians? But we know from other writings, especially as Paul writes on later, he says, he refers to them as fellow workers in Christ Jesus who had risked their lives for him. We'll also see at the end of this chapter, we did see when we read it, they leave here. They leave Corinth with him. Um, so who are they? What do we know about them? Um, one of the wonderful things is when you really start, you start digging in and you start studying, there's all this extra biblical sources. Some people out there believe that everything we get is straight up from the Bible and that that's all we have, and that's not true. Uh, the, the Bible itself, uh, arch, with archaeology and everything else, is just so confirmed in so many ways. And there's all these... The great thing about that period of time, and you've heard this before, when the Romans came in and they created these road systems, not only that, during that period of time, we have all these historians... Uh, Josephus, uh, guys like that who are writing stuff down who aren't necessarily Christians. They're writing down what they're seeing going on from different views, so we can go to those. So we, have all the, we also have all these records of where these uh, uh, rulers and emperors did certain things. Uh, uh, it's, it's great. So when you dig into this, you start seeing things differently. Um, so Claudius and the Jews, it talks about there that Claudius, so Claudius is the ruler there in Rome at the time, and he's like, Jews get out of here. And when I first read that for years, I always thought, hey, this is just because they don't like Jews. It's anti-Semitism, which was a very serious during that period of time, uh, as it is today in, in lots of places. But, but it wasn't. Here's the cool thing. He wasn't kicking them out because of Jewish, thing, as far as the law and the Torah and all that stuff. It's kind of getting, you get that. Um, so uh, what, what actually, the reason that Claudius sent them out was because the gospel was already making a disruption inside Rome. Paul's not been there yet. When Paul's writing Romans, he has not been to Rome. He's wanting to go see them. He does make it there eventually. And that's extra-biblical stuff. Recently I discovered uh, Paul. Uh, these are things I didn't know. When he's going to Rome, 20 to 40 miles before he gets to Rome, Christians are already coming out to walk in with him. Man, that gives me chill bumps. That's awesome. Like This isn't like they had email. That was a big deal, too. So we know this from extra-biblical writings. We know that when Paul was there, he was there a couple years. Then he was led out of the city where he was beheaded for being the leader of the Christians. They pretty much know where he's buried. There is a tomb, Paul in the wall or whatever it is. And they've done some testing, and it pretty much falls right in that same period of time, the body that's in there. 
So that's a cool thing that fleshes all this out for us. So what's going on here is it, it, with those extra biblical things show us there's this disruption among the Jews about Christus. The Jewish Christians who had got saved at Pentecost in this wonderful, the day of Pentecost, which we read about in Acts, is happening. And there's all these people from all over. God is wise. The day of Pentecost happens on a day when all these people have come into Jerusalem. And now they're going back out. And the gospel's traveling. And it's already causing disruptions. So Aquila and Priscilla most likely are already Christians. We don't know, but they obviously come on at once. And they are there to meet. They're there because of these disruptions that the gospel is already having. So in verse 4, we see that Paul has the same routine. He immediately goes to the synagogue every Sabbath, and he's reasoning. He's reasoning. Um, he's trying to reason with them that the Christ is Jesus, that the, that the Christ had to die. Um, so Paul has a, a pattern here, and, and he worked and he reasoned. So he's working through the week. It says he was a tent maker. He had the same trade as them. So he's working through the week, and then on the weekends, he's, he's going and reasoning with the Jews. Um, that wasn't always true, but we see in his writings, sometimes Paul is keeping himself, hey, I'm working, I'm putting my hands to it, and then we see that there's offerings that come in, and he's able to focus on other things. God's constantly providing for Paul. So let's look at verses 5 through 8. Um, it, it says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. I want you to just write that word down, occupied, if you're taking notes. Occupied with the word. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So he's in there with the Jews, and he's, he's saying, Look, I'm telling you, I have been there. I am a teacher. I am a, a Pharisee. I know this stuff, and I'm showing you from the word that Jesus was the Christ, and he had to die. You can see it in, our, in the word. Uh, so anyway, uh, we see there that Paul and Timothy, or not Paul, Silas and Timothy arrive. Um, Paul's occupied with the word. So they had, he apparently had sent them over to Macedonia and then said, Catch up with me in, in Corinth. Um, this is probably they, when they brought an offering from the churches there in Macedonia um, that lines up with other scripture. Uh, so he was showing those Jews every Sabbath. He was saying, he was showing them that the, the Christ was Jesus, that Christ had to die. But the Jews reject him. Uh, verse 6, this is some harsh stuff here. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Uh, the Jews reject him. He turns to the Gentiles. Now, shaking out garments, shaking your garments out was a gesture of rejection. He's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. He's so frustrated. It makes me think about Moses. Of course, Moses sinned when he gets frustrated with the Jews. I don't know if you've ever read all that, but I was like, I'm going to just, one time I was like, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to journey with the Jews. And I don't know how many times I was like, God, wipe them out. You know, because you're, but then I realized I'm just like them. I do those same things. I resist God. But when Moses gets so frustrated with him and he strikes the rock, I see Paul here so frustrated. He's like, why are you getting this? I've got this good news. Why are you resisting? Um, so he shakes out his garments. It says he left the synagogue and went next door. Isn't that super cool? Like it's like almost a comedy sketch. He's like, that's it. I'm done with you. And he goes out. He looks around, looks up at the next building, goes, all right, and goes in there. What's even better uh, was the home of uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So anytime you see worshiper of God in this, that is just a Gentile believer. They're in the synagogue. They're around. They're not necessarily uh, 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 have converted to Judaism. They're just worshipers of God. 
Um, uh, so anyway, he goes next door. But it's funny. He, he goes, I'm done with this place. I'm out of here. Who's the next convert? It says there in verse 8, Crispus. Who's Crispus? This is a pretty big deal. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He's in charge of the services. The place Paul just walked out of and said, I'm done, is the first guy that gets saved after he's like, I'm done with the, the Jews. This, the leader of the synagogue. That's like IBM and Apple, and Steve Jobs goes over and visits IBM. It's like, our computers are way better than yours. And everybody's like, no, no, and they leave. But the, the head of IBM's like, I think I'm going with him. Like... I mean, it's, not, it's unfathomable. So he does this. His whole family gets saved. And then it says, uh, many other Corinthians also get saved. So God is saying, you're doing right, Paul. This is happening. This is what I want you doing. He's, just, he's, he's affirming this. Uh, so, so just remember that. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, is the first convert after the frustrations with the Jews. A Jew. A rule, the ruler to be that. And we're going to hear more about that here in a second. So verses 18, 9 through 11... Um, it says that Paul has a vision. Now, this is Jesus appearing to him when it says the Lord. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed for 18 months. That's the longest, second longest stay that Paul stayed anywhere in this missionary journey. Um, this is a big deal because if you know anything, if you've been going along, Paul's had some rough times. Typically... When he runs into trouble with the Jews, he's got a split. He's been stoned. It says, me and a friend were talking about this yesterday morning. It says that he bore the marks of this stuff in his body. So if you're out swimming at the beach with Paul and he takes his shirt off, you're going to see this. You're going to see where he was drugged, stoned, drugged out to the water and left for dead. He's whipped. He's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He's snake bitten. So it says, like I said, he said, I come to you with fear and trembling. Because he's not been having, I mean, God's been with him, but man, it's been tough. To me, when you hear, I'm just a side break, when people are like health, wealth, prosperity, theology, then God must have hated Paul. He even says, I'm going to show this guy what he has to pay for me. Paul had it rough, but he knew where his hope was at. He knew the future. He's going to spend it with the Lord for eternity. All this stuff he said, I count as rubbish. He was willing to die for it. He said, I'd rather be out of here, but I'm staying here for you because I want to see God's work done. So in that vision, he says, go on speaking, don't stop. Verse 10, I am with you. That's capital I, capital A, capital M. I am with you. I have many in this city. I have many in this city. It doesn't mean that he has many in the city who are going to rise up and fight for Paul. He has many people there that are his. He's coming to rescue. He says, no harm will come to you. He says, like I said, he stays 18 months. Um, up to this point... Opposition, just to reaffirm this too, Paul's ministry had usually forced Paul to leave that place. Um, so, um, now we're going to look at verses 12 through, and this is where God's going to affirm this again, the words that Jesus spoke to him in that vision, verses 12 through 17. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to read this too. But when Gallio was proconsul of Ikea, it sounds like I'm saying Ikea in that, in that I can't not think about Ikea when I say it. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Once again, they're doing the same thing they did to Jesus. They're, they're just trying to use every method they can to stop it. 
But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. Now, I want to point out again, real quick, this memory talking about Christus and the Jews being kicked out of Rome because of the gospel, these skirmishes. The Romans, this is expanded resources, right? They're having to deal with this stuff. They got other things they want to do. It's not that they like going around beating down on other people groups. I mean, they obviously did to some degree, but this is it's problematic. And so Gallio, Gallio here, he's like, really? I've got all this other stuff to deal with, and you're coming in here bringing your little bitter disputes about your religion and these words I don't know nothing about. I'm done with it. And, you're, and that's happening across the whole land. The Greeks, everybody's getting tired of this constant tension amongst them. So, uh, so but, and this is so, so cool, verse 14. Uh, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Paul doesn't have to say anything. Paul's getting ready to defend himself. Maybe share the gospel. I think that's what Paul, Paul's like, let's share the gospel. Gallio stopped him and said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime on Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. This is the court. Um, he says, and it says, and they, they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, this is a very serious matter. But because of the way my brain thinks, I'm like, this is kind of funny in a way. Because they're bringing Paul here. The ruler of the synagogue is like, this guy did this. And next thing you know, he's outside getting beat by these people. Like, that's, but this is God showing in that vision. Like, look, you don't got to worry. Stay here. I've got this. Uh, so Gallio was the proconsul. That's the chief judicial officer of that province of Ikea. We're going to call it Ikea because I like that better. Jews united against Paul brought him to the tribunal. Uh, like I said, Gallio, Paul's about to open his mouth. Gallio rejects their case, kicks them out. The Sosthenes is seized. Now, I always thought, when I just glanced through this, now let's remember who's Sosthenes. He's the ruler of the synagogue. This is Crispus's replacement. Crispus got saved when Paul shook his garments and was like, I'm out of here. This is Crispus's replacement who's trying to be united with the Jews and bring charges against Paul. He's now getting beat by a group of people. Now, when I used to read it, I always go, oh, the Jews were upset at him because he didn't win the court case. It's not. It's the Greeks beating him out in the street. Because the Greeks, the people in the thing, the Greeks and the Romans are like, we're so tired of this. Can't you deal with this on your own? God turns Paul's enemies against themselves. He doesn't even have to open his mouth, and they're outside beating each other. Like, that's pretty, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just my imagination or something. I don't know. So, verses 18 through 23, we're just going to glide through these, and then we're going to turn back and look at some stuff. Uh, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. Now, some of this kind of gets confusion, confusing because he is what uh, is going to be next is Ephesus. But he's kind of moving around here, and it can got, get kind of confusing. You have to really focus on it to see that he is ending up in Ephesus, but he's taking care of some other stuff. It says, He took leaves of, leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuria he had his, cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Not sure what that's about. Paul would do things like that. He's going up to see the council, so he wants to kind of respect who they are. Um, and they came to Ephesus, and he respects God. 
Like he, he wants to be doing what he should be doing. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Like immediately. He gets to town. He's like, no, I'm going to take a couple of weeks and break. He gets straight in the synagogue and starts reasoning. Now here's an interesting thing. It jumps out. He's reasoning with them and they go, hey, why don't you stay longer with us? You'd think he'd be like, Yes, finally, some, they're wanting to listen. He declines. He says, nah. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills it. It's in God's hands. So Paul's just relying more and more on God. I'm not going to sweat this. I'm not going to force this. When he, had, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. We've heard a lot about Antioch. So he's returning, he's checking on these brothers and sisters, these churches. It says, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul wasn't alike. I've done my job and I'm out of here. He was always going back, checking. How are you doing? How's it going? <clears throat> so... After that, we're just so we're going to stop right there. That's the end of the, our text that we looked at this morning. We're going to look back at what stands up, what stands out. So, verse five, um, it says Paul was occupied with the word. He was occupied with the word. What does that mean to you? I thought about this. Occupied. You write that down. Occupied. He was focused. So. A lot of you have kids here, or let's say you have, we'll, we'll use kids first. You have kids. When your children, when they're small, when they're occupied with something, what's their attention? What is everything else around them? When they're occupied with Bluey, is that the latest one? Bluey, does anybody know Bluey? I hear Bluey. I don't know what it's about, some dog maybe. Um, it's blue. And uh, so, but when they're focused, they're occupied with it. That's all they can think about. He's occupied with the word. He's occupied with his mission. He's focused. The Christ is Jesus. Come, just like the woman at the well, come see this man who told me everything about myself. It's just like when your boss or someone you need their attention, they're occupied with something you can't get their attention because they're in it. They're, they're deep in it. Verse 7, when it says he, he went next door, Paul didn't give up. He didn't go, and that's me. So I'm like, fine, you don't want to hear it? I'm out of here. I'm going to go take a nap or something. I don't know. That's, or at least that's what I wrestled against. Um, he went next door. He literally just went next door. Paul did not give up. He didn't wonder. He was intentional. And that's a popular word right now, intentional, intentionality. So Paul is intentional. He's an original, intentional person. So he went next door. He had intent. He said, if you're not going to listen, I'm going to the Gentiles. And then we have our core part there, verses 9 and 10. When he has this vision, this night vision, God says, do not be afraid. That's what he's saying to us. Do not be afraid. Just like Paul said, what's the worst? What Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and cast it into hell. That's hard for me to get over because I really like, as shabby as I think my body is, I like it preferably over other, you know, being alive and healthy. But I have to remember where my hope is at. What is this all about? So do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't stop. Do not be silent. He said, I am with you. And then that key thing for us, I believe, I have many in this city who are my people. 
He wasn't saying that like, don't worry, I'll call the gang in and they'll stop all this. He's saying, I have many in this city and you need to share the gospel with them. Paul's like, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. We have to remember that. We think it's just us, but there's people out there. I've seen it. I've seen some stuff, exciting stuff going on in West Asheville. People who are coming to the Lord and there is nobody convincing them talking them into it. The Lord is drawing them in. They're leaving New Age. They're leaving all this stuff. And it's not droves, but I'm like, God's doing something. He's always doing something. There's people out there. I've thought about this this morning. It hit me when I, and this will just be a little side story, and then I'll. So when I was probably about 13 or 14, uh, me and my best friend, who is a pastor at another church here in Asheville, we were like your little greasy skater kids. This is before it was pop culture, and it was in the Olympics, and everybody did it. But we, cause, so we were just these little kids, probably around 14 years old, and we're just skating, minding our own business. And this guy, I'll never forget it. I can still see it. He didn't come up and he didn't preach at me, which he could have done. I probably would have listened because God was drawing me. He pulled up in this little Toyota two-wheel drive truck. That's how vivid it is to me. Why? And he gets out and he says, hey, guys, he respected us. And he says, can I give you a Bible? Now, I mean, I'd been to church when I was a kid. But he gave us this Bible, and I still have that Bible somewhere, and that's been a long time ago. Now, did I go home and read that Bible? I would like to say I did. I did not. Uh, but I did not throw it away, and my friend didn't throw his away, and we just tucked him away. We took him with us. That guy was doing what God had called him to do, just simply loving on a couple of kids, even if it just meant handing him this Bible. So when God has us chosen, he's just telling us, preach the word. Reach out to them. Be fishers of men. Don't, do not be afraid. Just If you're going to write something down, I don't have anything at the end for questions to challenge you, but you can write down, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't stop. Do not be silent. I am is with you. I have many in the city who are my people. So then we see, now we're going to close this out. Verse 17, God turned Paul's enemies on themselves. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen every time with you, but I know many times in life where I'm like, this is not going to be good, and God turns it around. Because all I can do is trust in him. But he does it. We see it here. Uh, verse 23, and this also applies to us, Paul wasn't done. It says he strengthened the disciples and the believers. He didn't just share the gospel with someone and then take off. He kept watering and watering, sharing. So we're going to close with that, and I'm going to pray and, um, yeah, let me just pray and close with that. And then what we're going to do, I'm gonna, so I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. And so if there's anybody here, uh, we do communion. It's something we do. It's an ordinance we do to remember what the Lord has done, what he's done for us, that he died in our place. He delivered us from our sins. He rose again from, again from the grave, giving us eternal life for, for not any action or passing out Bibles to some little kids, but simply because he loves us. And because he's done this for us now, we go and do those good works, showing how great that love is for us. So this communion, if you're not a believer, uh, I wouldn't take of it because it really means nothing to you. But uh, So and it's okay not to take of it. If you have something against your brother, go settle that. Like this is just getting before the Lord and just remembering what he's done for you. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll come up and take communion. And also for anybody, we have boxes in the back if you have giving. 
offering, anything like that, or if you have connection cards which are in the back of the seat, need prayer requests, any kind of requests, write it on there, throw it in the black box. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything you're doing. I thank you for your word, which comes alive. There's so much more. We could spend weeks on this text. It was so hard, Lord, deciding what to put in it. But I trust, Lord, that what was in it today was what you wanted said. Father, I just pray that we would come to you, and we would trust you, we would rely on you, and we wouldn't stop speaking. Lord, you would lay someone on our hearts that we just need to love on. We need to be there for them. We either need to encourage them, or we need to just tell them about Jesus. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.